Thank you. Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good. Um, okay, so we're going to jump right in uh, because I have a lot of ground to cover in this one sermon, which is very a uh, hypocritical way of starting off an unhurry series, is just with a busy and full message. So I'm sorry. I ask for forgiveness from all you. Um, but there's a lot to talk about. And uh, this is something that I'm passionate about and I, uh, I really love. And I already cut out so much of this sermon. Like, <laughs> okay, but let's just, let's just start. So um, I'm pretty much going to be summarizing uh, like half of this book and then uh, going into a little bit more depth on Sabbath. So for anyone that wants to go deeper, which I really hope is, is all of you, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, this isn't, our series isn't necessarily like a straight book study, but this is one of our main resources. It's my main resource for today's sermon. Uh, it's just such a like easy, nice read with, while being filled with great content. So get yourself a copy. I've read it a couple times. I don't even like reading, so <laughs> it's good for everyone. I wish I did like reading. I'd, I'd feel smarter. But anyway, one more thing. Before we get to this book, uh, I just want to say, obviously, I'm not you right? I think that should be clear. I don't know what it's like to be you. I'm 25. I uh, don't have kids, don't have a family to take care of. I'm about to move out, so I haven't even lived on my own as an adult yet. So, you're, you know, before you think, what does this guy know about unhurry and busyness and then tune me out for 25 minutes, I'll admit, I don't know what it's like to be you. I don't know what it's like to have, a, have kids, have a family, own a business, work a job that demands insane hours. Um, I don't know what it's like to, to have all that. But I'm not here to talk to you as some sort of life coach, like, oh, look, I have it all figured out. I'm here to talk about the way of Jesus and to look to the wisdom and um, you know, life of, of Jesus followers who are smarter than me and further down the road. So I'm at the beginning of this journey. Uh, I hope that we can walk through this together. Okay, but you know, I think, I think actually for many of us, this isn't this is an important moment in our lives right now. I think this, ser this sermon series is at a crucial moment because, who knows, in a few weeks, pretty soon, whenever that may be, our lives are going to start going back to normal. Hallelujah, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and the life we had before the pandemic will return. And for most of us, that was a busy life. Maybe you're still busy during the pandemic. And for some of us, we're going to now probably choose to take on even more after the pandemic to try to catch up for the lost time. So before we get flung back into a life of business, let's just stop and reflect and think about what we actually want our lives to be. You know, at this point, I'm, you know, probably many of you are thinking, I'm good with being busy and, and having a life of hurry, like I get a lot done, or that's just the way life is. Okay, so that's where summarizing most of this book comes into play, because I'm hoping we can maybe work through that, change a little bit of that. But let's start with a story from uh, John Orberg, uh, who is an amazing Christian author and pastor. Uh, and this conversation was with his friend and mentor, Dallas Willard, who was a philosopher and probably one of the greatest Christian writers of the past hundred years. Uh, just so many good books about spiritual formation. But here's their conversation uh, that John Mark Comer writes about. He said, John calls up Dallas to ask for advice. It's the late 90s, and at the time, John was working at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, one of the most influential churches in the world. John himself is a well-known teacher and best-selling author, the kind of guy you figure, you figure pretty much has his apprenticeship to Jesus down. 
but behind the scenes, he felt like he was being sucked into the vortex of megachurch insanity. So he calls up Willard and asks, what do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? There's a long silence on the other end of the line. According to John, with Willard, there's always a long silence on the other end of the line. Then, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John scribbles that down. Okay. Okay, what else? Another long silence. Willard says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. End of story. Nothing else but to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Hence the title of the book. But, wow, like what a good line. How do people talk like that? You know, they talk in quotes if they're wise enough. <laughs> um, okay, so that's just an amazing line, and I love it. And trust me, if, if there's someone that you want to fo- like follow that follows Jesus so well, Dallas Willard would be one of the people at the top of that list. Okay, but listen again to, to the line after John Ortberg asks, okay, what else? Willard then says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Really, think about that. Like, the great enemy? That's, that's the one thing? Is that really the main issue that's getting in the way of spiritual life? The main thing that's drawing people away from Jesus or away from church? I bet if we took a poll, I doubt any of us would say hurry. We would be more quick to point fingers at our culture for being sinful and teaching us sinful stuff, or, you know, depending what you think, it's the liberals thinking in theology or the conservatives thinking in theology, or it's just our culture because it's postmodern, post-Christian, or it's drugs, alcohol, porn, all these things, all these issues. But hurry? Seems kind of weird. But, and Dallas Willard said this in the late 90s, right, before iPhones, before you could have, like, everything all of the time just in your hand, this unending wave of distraction. But cell phones, okay, they, don't, they, don't, they certainly don't help our busyness and distraction, but they're not the heart of the issue. Like, this goes much deeper. Like I said, Dallas Willard said this in the 90s, okay, and further, further before him, um, Corey Tenboom, Christian author and amazing woman who helped save uh, around 800 Jewish people in World War II, she said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And further before um, her, Carl Jung, famous psychologist, developed the framework for introvert and extrovert. He said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Okay, busyness and hurry are not recent issues. That's just, it's not just suddenly came out of nowhere. Although I do believe that it's probably worse than ever, at least in in Western society and culture. You know, maybe we haven't heard this uh, since the pandemic started, but I I feel like it will return. Do you remember um, what people would say when you ask them how they're doing pre-pandemic? John Mark Comer points this out, and I was like, oh yeah, I see that all the time. People say, would say, good, just busy. Good, just busy, just busy. That's like the general response. John Mark Comer points out, pay attention and you'll find this answer everywhere, across ethnicity, gender, stage of life, even class. No matter who it is, people feel busy. Or I would add, maybe people say it because it's celebrated. Right? You think, oh, that person's busy. They're they're doing a lot. Look at them go. Comer points out, Jesus himself was busy, okay? The problem, although, isn't when you have a lot to do. It's when you have too much to do that the only way to keep up the quota is hurry. The issue is that we're beyond busy. 
right? We have a hurry culture and it's celebrated. And then we as Christians and churches, we've adopted this practice, this way of life. Okay, but what we need to realize and understand is that it's anti-Christian, opposite of the way of Jesus. Okay, just think about, just for one, just think about what we're called to do as Christians. What's, what's the one thing, the main thing that Jesus said when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Okay, so we can kind of boil that down to just one word for simplification, love. Okay, we're called to love as Christians. That's what we're called to do. But here's the thing. Love and hurry are just incompatible. Love cannot be done in a hurry. It takes time. It's, it's slow. You know, just think about the times when you're in a hurry, rushing to, to get somewhere. Are you the most loving at that moment? You're probably a little bit more short with people. Not, not really listening, not really there, just focused on where you're going, what you have to do. It's not a great way to love. You know, it's like, oh man, that person on the side of the road, I could pull over and help, but I'm, I'm late. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm busy, I'm in a hurry. Okay, now think about the times when you've been busy and you're more than just in a hurry, you're worn down. I'm gonna guess you probably aren't very loving then either. You just, you, you don't have time for people. You know, think about how you treat your family or the people's people closest to you in those moments. You're probably, your fuse is probably shorter than ever. The small things can set you off and annoy you and cause fights. You just aren't very loving. We just aren't loving when we're busy, when we're in a hurry, because we have no energy to love and no time to love. Can't love in a hurry. Hence the famous definition of love in the Bible in 1 Corinthians, that we've all heard at every wedding. Love is patient. That's the first thing. Love is patient. When you love people, you are patient. You take your time, which is the opposite of what we have in a life of hurry. It's the opposite of what we have when we're constantly busy, constantly distracted. Hurry is just so much of a detriment to our souls, a detriment to our relationship with Jesus and to others. It's just at odds with love, joy, and peace, with spiritual practices and growth. It's at odds with with gratitude and enjoying life. Hurry is the great enemy of the way of Jesus. The great enemy. Later in the book, Comer explains that it's also, it's not just spiritual writers who talk about the problem of hurry. Uh, More and more experts, psychologists, healthcare professionals are weighing in and talking about the dangers of hurry, calling it an epidemic and labeling it hurry sickness. So to quote a counselor and PhD, hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing, anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Okay, here are some symptoms of hurry sickness, which is almost comical. <laughs> Moving from one checkout line to the other because it looks like it's going faster. Ever, ever done that? Speeding. Nah, not, not any of us. Counting the cars in front of you and going in the lane that looks faster. Multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Frequently performing time calculations in your head to want to uh, figure out if you can just fit in one more task. I think it's a fair guess to say that that's probably like 98% of people. I don't know the stats, but myself included, okay? And you might think, yeah, well, I'm just trying to save time, be efficient. Yeah, but we, that might be masking the real issue, is that it's actually a life of hurry. And again, when, when saving time and efficiency is, you know, you're driving goals in life, that's not healthy. And again, not the way of Jesus. The great enemy of the way of Jesus. Okay, and here's uh, Comer's list of deeper symptoms of what hurry sickness 
causes in most people. Here's here's just for some self-reflection. Irritability. You know, you get mad, frustrated, or annoyed way too easily. Hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, passive-aggressive email to set you off, or a little turn of events to, to completely throw you off and ruin your day. Restlessness. When you actually try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. Workaholism or nonstop activity. You don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel another's pain, or your own pain for that matter. Out-of-order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. Lack of care for your body. You just don't have enough time for sleep, exercise, healthy food. Escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our own distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, uh, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred narcotic. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. When you get busy, the things that are most important start dropping off. Prayer, time alone, scripture, Sabbath, gathering on a Sunday or with a small group, and isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. In a busy life, most of us probably feel some of these symptoms or a lot of them. Okay, the terrible thing is that this is normal. Okay, but the nice thing is that you're not alone in this. This is our culture. Okay, so how do we fight against hurry? What's the remedy for hurry sickness? Well, it's the, it's the way of Jesus. That's no surprise there. <laughs> of course, this is a church who talk about Jesus, but that's not a cop-out, right? It never is, because Jesus modeled perfect humanity. He was the best teacher and wisest teacher to ever live. And of course, we have to look at the way of Jesus. He, he was busy. He had a lot to do in his time, but he was never in a hurry. He always loved people. He always cared for people. Jesus was, was interrupted constantly. If you, kinda, if you read and think, okay, what, how often was he interrupted? A lot of his interactions were interruptions to what he was doing, where he was going, but he was never annoyed with people. He, he was with them. He gave them his full attention and loved them. And now Jesus gives us this invitation. I'm going to read this slowly. Let's open up our hearts to the words and call of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, now, a yoke is a piece of wood that holds two oxen together um, so that they would work together in plowing a field or pulling a cart. You know, same pace, same direction, working together. And the yoke is actually just a normal, common expression for um, a teacher's way of teaching the Bible in Jesus' time. But Jesus' call was more than that. It's a way of life. Okay, but this verse is kind of of confusing because Jesus says, like, he says, I'll give you rest, and then he immediately uses a metaphor of working, you know, of plowing a field, of getting work done. So here's Frederick Dale Bruner's insight into into the paradox of an easy yoke. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least, They need a mattress or vacation, not a yoke. But the quote continues. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount or his yoke 
will develop in us a balance and a way of caring life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. And this isn't just a, a vague way of life, right? Uh, listen to what Dallas Willard says. He talks about this verse and calls it the secret of the easy yoke. And he writes, In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. Essentially, Dallas Willard is saying, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you know, his love, his joy, his peace, his unhurried life, or uh, what, what John Mark Comer calls his unanxious presence, which I just love that, that image. Um, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is more than coming to church and believing the right things, adopting a theology. It needs to be about a complete lifestyle change which is adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. And Jesus' lifestyle is unhurried. To think we can live this overly busy life and do everything we can possibly think of and still actually follow Jesus and have a full relationship with him is just a fool's errand. We can't just say, yes, Jesus, please make my life easier and give me rest. I'm weary and burdened. But we continue to live the exact same life. That's not how this works. Because this is an invitation to be with Jesus to become more like Jesus, to follow him by doing what he does, learning his practices, changing our lives to reflect his. That is the full call here. John Mark Comer suggests reading the Gospels like a biography of someone you want to emulate, which sounds simple and like, what, don't we already do that? But I, I don't think we actually have that mindset. We, we read the Bible or the Gospels thinking, okay, tell me what to do or not do, or what does this mean? Or we look for verses that we want to remember or that we just like and want to throw up on Instagram. You know, whatever. All good things. That is, those are good things. But I don't think we read it going, what is Jesus doing in his day-to-day? -day? What are his practices that I need to adopt because I want to be just like him? In adopting Jesus' way of life, Jesus promises peace. He promises an easy yoke and a light burden. Okay, and, and I say that I don't think we read the Bible or the Gospels thinking, what is Jesus doing, you know, in the day-to-day, -day, in the week-to-week? -week? What are his practices I should adopt? Maybe you do, but I think if we did, a lot more of us, for one, would be practicing the Sabbath, which is one of the main, if not the main, practices of an unhurried life. Now, Jesus practiced the Sabbath. Okay, so what is that? Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. It is a day that is meant for stopping. Stop working, stop worrying, stop wanting, and just rest. Now, of course, okay, I say this next part uh, with limited knowledge. Of course, I don't know every Christian tradition, what churches have been uh, teaching, but for the most part, in Western Christianity, I think we haven't had a healthy view of the Sabbath in a long time. Or at least we haven't even thought about it. It hasn't been something we ever tried or, or even considered. I think, you know, maybe a few generations ago, uh, people observed the Sabbath, and of course, in like Canada and the States, it was law that things had to be closed on a Sunday for a while. But um, from, you know, stories I've heard, I think it was more legalistic. At least that's the experience uh, my, my parents had. You know, if, if they were, as kids, caught doing something fun or playing sports with their friends, by their, if they were caught by their grandparents, they'd be in trouble. My mom has a story where she had to hide that she got hurt 
playing a sport from her, like had to avoid her grandma so her grandma wouldn't get mad. Um, right? So it's legalistic. And then, like so many things, the pendulum swings too far the other way, where we have now just forgot about the Sabbath and left it behind as if it was some dumb, outdated idea. But again, if we follow the life and the way of Jesus, we should be having Sabbath. Well, because he did. Because that is what Jesus did. Now, he didn't command it. You won't find a verse where it is commanded, but Jesus didn't need to command it. Okay, because he practiced it. And then he said, follow me. You know, do as I do. Take my yoke, my way of life. Now, there was a lot of things, actually, surprisingly, that Jesus didn't command. Um, Jesus didn't command us once to just read the Bible. Okay, but he says, love God, and to love God is to know him through his word. And then Jesus knew the Bible better than anyone, and he says, follow me. And Jesus also never commanded us to spend time alone with God, but frequently, frequently we see stories of Jesus going out, spending time alone with God. And then he says, follow me. So he didn't need to command it. You know, no one in his day would have even questioned if it's important to read the word of God or important to pray. Just like no one would have questioned whether or not they should observe the Sabbath. They, it was treated as law, because it was a law of the Old Testament, you know, one of the Ten Commandments. And uh, the Sabbath was a big part of the Jewish culture, and still is to this day. Okay, and more than that, it wasn't just one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, the Sabbath was set in motion when God created the world. It's actually ingrained in the fabric of nature itself and in who we are. The Sabbath is a theme running through the whole Bible since the first page. Okay, this is beyond just an Old Testament law that we think we don't need to listen to anymore or observe. Um, you know, even if the Bible straight up never said, remember the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, whatever, we would still have a full argument for having a Sabbath. Okay, why? Even before Jesus, why? Because the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day. In doing that, he created for us, we who are made in his image, a rhythm of life. Okay, a pace that shouldn't be ignored. God rested. Okay, whatever that means in reality, because God doesn't really need to rest, but I think what the Bible is getting at is saying, okay, God is setting up this rhythm for you, and you're just human. If God rests on the seventh day, you should be resting, because it's actually good for you. It's the way that God made this world, the way that God made us to live. There's... Um, you know, because I think a lot of time we try to fight against, uh, against our nature and fight against our limitations. But there's a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's mentor and spiritual director, H.H. Farmer. It says, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. <laughs> Don't fight against what God has made for us, how God has made the world. It will only cause you pain when you fight it. Okay, so Jesus didn't say, remember to keep the Sabbath. Okay, but he did keep the Sabbath. And then he said, follow me, take my yoke. Again, okay? But what Jesus did say um, was to redefine the Sabbath, or at least clear some things up about the Sabbath in his time. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees who uh, were the ones who enforced the Sabbath. They made it, uh, like a lot of the Old Testament laws, really legalistic, really a burden on people. And they were getting upset at Jesus' disciples for, as they were walking, picking some grain to eat, because they considered that work, and that wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. But Jesus tells them this. He says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, so the Pharisees, and, and um, the Pharisees needed to understand the second part of that sentence. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. 
Meaning it's not about us just fulfilling all these rules for no reason, right? It's not just about the rules. But us, our culture, our churches, our Western Christianity need to hear the first part of Jesus' statement, which says Sabbath was made for man. Meaning it's a gift. It's a way of life that fights against the hurry, against the restlessness that we feel. It is a part of life that brings balance and peace to the weak. It should not be rejected, and it is the way of Jesus. Okay, so for those of you thinking, I just I can't spare the time. Okay, there was a study done at Stanford, which I feel like some of us will just hate to hear. Okay, honestly, but um, truth hurts sometimes. There's a study out of Stanford University, and I'm quoting from an article written about it. They said, in his research, economics professor John Pencavel found that productivity per hour declines sharply when a person works more than 50 hours a week. After 55 hours, productivity drops so much that putting in any more hours would be pointless. And those who work up to 70 hours a week are only getting the same amount of work done as those who put in 55 hours. The, the article continues with a quote, Busyness is not a means to accomplishment, but an obstacle to it, writes Alex Shung Sojun Kimpang, a Stanford scholar and author of Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. He argues in his book that when we define ourselves by our work, dedication, effectiveness, and willingness to go the extra mile, it's easy to think that doing less and creating more peace in our minds are barriers to success. Okay, but it's the opposite. And that's why I said some of you will hate to hear this, because we think we can push ourselves to do more and more and always work harder and harder, but the reality is we have a limit. The reality is that we're not made to work up to 70 hours a week. And according to the study, we aren't even made for 55 hours a week. That's when productivity plummets. And yeah, there's some people that have you know, a little bit more capacity, but still, we're humans. We have limitations. We are probably made for about, like the study says, 50 hours of work, which is, a six day, which is about a six-day work week with one day left over. Unsurprisingly, surprisingly enough, one day left for Sabbath, just the way that God has made us. Like I said earlier, Sabbath is ingrained into the nature of who we are, how we're meant to live, which again, I feel like, I, I say this so often when I preach and look into something that like is the way of God, and I, I look into it, and then there's always like studies that are showing like, oh, what, what, how God wants us to live is actually what's best for us. Like, it, hap it happens all the time. Just a reminder that the way of Jesus is actually what's best for you, actually going to bring you peace and a, a full life of joy. So again, we aren't made for a ton of hours, maybe around 50, somewhere there. We are made to have a Sabbath in our week. Like Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. Okay, so over this sermon, we've hopefully discovered that hurry is bad, not the way of Jesus, right? Two, the way to solve that issue is to practice the habits of Jesus in every way. And three, the Sabbath is one of those main habits that we should be practicing. And I hope that we start to practice. You know, I just felt like, I, I wish I could have done, you know, a full another sermon on just what to do on the Sabbath and more in depth there. But I felt like to launch this series, we need to understand that the way of our culture, the way of, of hurry is not the way of Jesus, and then we need to understand that living exactly how Jesus lived is the best way to fight against that. So we didn't have a lot of time for the how of the Sabbath. What to actually do on this day? What, it, what is it? Again, just, just pick up a copy of this. It's so good. Um, you're not going to regret it. And 
you know, um, you can learn a lot from this book, but we're just going to hit a couple bullet point notes of what to do on the Sabbath. Um, now, just remember, if this is something you're starting, you don't have to do everything perfectly the first time. You're still, a lot of us are going to be addicted to busyness, and it's going to be hard to break from that. But we can learn slowly. We're not in a hurry. Sabbath is just, okay, Sabbath is more than a, a day off of work, which is great, but Sabbath should be more than that. So whatever day off work you have, take that as your Sabbath. Take one of those as your Sabbath. Um, us pastors, we do during the week because I'm working right now, um, so this isn't my Sabbath. But find a day that works for you. If possible, find a day that is the same every week. Have a rhythm to your, to your, uh, to your week. And then on that day, try and do two things that are just two things. Try and do things that are rest and or things that are worship. Okay? That's what John Mark Comer suggests. That's meant to be vague, open-ended, whatever kind of fits who you are, you know, who God has made you. There'll, There'll be different things that people like to do that give them rest and peace. For me, I like to be with people. For other people, you probably need to be alone on your Sabbath, right? Um, So that's broad, and that's not legalistic. Find a day and just don't do work. You can slow down your life. There's six other days to do any type of work. And then spend a day doing things that are rest and things that are worship. And in this way, we can start to practice the way of Jesus. Find the things that God has made you to enjoy. And also, find the things that you know are just sort of... There's a lot of things we do, I think, that just kind of numb us. And just, you can watch TV all day, but that's not going to be a Sabbath. Because you're just trying to numb yourself to reality because you're tired. But just start slow. Have a little bit more time in the scripture. Have a little bit more time with things that really are good for your soul. So whatever that looks like for you, I hope that we can all take this step. And I'd love to see churches reclaim this day for what it's supposed to be. And for us as a church to just live slowly and unhurried. So make your Sabbath simple and slow and meaningful. Okay, that's all we have time for. Again, uh, you can... There's a lot of stuff in this book. Um, but one last invitation. If you aren't a Christian today, um, here or online, um, you aren't a follower of Jesus, you can start that today. Jesus does offer his yoke. He is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Okay, but this changes your whole life. To actually enter into that rest of Jesus, you need to adopt his lifestyle. Okay, but there's also no other choice that will be ever as good as the one that you can make by following Jesus. So I'm just going to close in prayer, and if you want to accept Jesus today, um, you can do that right now. Jesus, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can follow you. And God, we just accept your yoke. We accept your way of life, and we just ask that you help us to slow down. God, we just ask that you help us to walk with you in every step of this way. And Jesus, for those uh, who might be accepting you right now, Lord, we just um, ask for forgiveness for our sins. And we thank you that you have died and rose again to give us this new life, to give us this life that is just a complete lifestyle change that will bring us closer to you, that will bring us more joy and love and peace in this life. Jesus, help us to rest. Help us to not go back to our regular lives of busyness but to shape our lives after you, our teacher. 
Help us to learn the practices of Jesus together. And I know that that will bring us rest because your way will bring us rest. You'll walk with us, give us a new way to live, unhurried, filled with peace, love, and joy. Jesus, we accept your invitation of your yoke and your way of life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.